Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned, I want to want to preach on that second reading today. But before we do that, um, look at that scripture reading. I want to want to talk just a little bit um, about how ELCA Lutherans, anyway, go about reading and interpreting scripture. My first sem seminary semester, I was required to take a class called Scripture and Its Interpretation. This is a fine class for someone who's going to be preaching to be taking, I would say. And it was a good class. It was also a challenging class. I mean, um, I was relatively familiar with Scripture. I was raised up on it, for goodness sakes. Um, I, my day, we went to church twice every Sunday. Sunday school every Sunday. Uh, catechism every week. Um, from kindergarten to 12th grade and family devotions at every meal. I was, I was pretty familiar with scripture, but this class challenged me to think about scripture, asking some questions about it that I really had never asked before. I, I just had never been asked to ask them. What exactly do we mean? Um, this class got us thinking about what when we say that the scripture is the word of God. I mean, does it mean that it just kind of dropped out of heaven, as is, and good to go? No, we don't mean that. Do we mean it is inerrant and infallible because it's God's word? Um, frankly, at that point in my life, I kind of assumed that maybe, maybe we did mean that. Um, but now that assumption was questioned, and it needed to be, after all. You know, you start reading the Bible at, at all, and I mean, by the time you're 10 seconds, 10 chapters into Genesis, you realize that the people who wrote the Bible thought some things that weren't true. They thought that the world was flat, and they thought that, 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 that this, what looks like this round dome of a sky was actually a round dome that was called the firmament, and the stars and and, 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 and planets were, were on it, and there were these windows in it, because that firmament was where God, on the second day of creation, had separated the waters, some below us, some above us, and this big dome holding them back. And, and on, on, on uh, Noah's flood, for example, those windows opened, and they stayed open. I was taught to respect scripture by all means, uh, but to respect it on its own terms for what it actually is rather than what, what I want it to be or what I assume it to be. So, yes, we do use the phrase word of God for scripture, but we nevertheless, nevertheless do believe that scripture requires interpretation thousands of years later to understand what that word of God truth that it speaks today is. One of my professors uh, in that class said that we don't believe also that all scripture is created equal. For one thing, uh, Lutherans are Jesus people. I mean, we know that Jesus is the word of God in the flesh, and Jesus is the gospel, which we really think it's really all about. And so we pretty much always read the Bible. We've got a Jesus tint to our glasses. We've got a Jesus prescription to our reading glasses. And if we have to choose between a scripture passage and Jesus because they don't seem to get along, we Lutherans will, will just, we'll just go in the direction of Jesus pretty much every time. But he also made the point, by the way, this was Terry Fredheim, not your father, John Mark, but, but he, I'm sure he made this point too. Um, uh, he made the point that not all scripture is, is created equal by saying this, 
John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Genesis 22.21, meanwhile, says that Uz was the brother of Buzz. There's no conflict between these verses. They might both be completely true, but we are people who think that one of them is more important than the other. And if there is disparity, if we do have to choose, we will lean in the direction of those more important ones. I learned, I didn't know this, you guys probably do, I learned that the books of the Bible are called the canon. I didn't know this word. I didn't know the word pericope. If you don't either, I will tell you that it was Terence Spreadheim who pointed out to me it's not pronounced pericope. When I asked him what these pericopes were, <laughs> he was a gentle man. We were grateful for that. The most important themes, however, of Scripture within these books of the canon, um, we start to think of as what's called the canon within the canon. The message within the pages, that's the message. Thus the class, and really the necessity for the class, Scripture is Scripture, and we cherish it. But it requires interpretation, or we will, thousands of years later, misunderstand and even abuse it. Which takes us to our reading today from Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul who elsewhere said some things that most would say aren't part of any canon within a canon, and in fact, in some cases, aren't even true anymore. Even though he said them, and even though they're Bible, they're not true anymore. And I can see that almost all of you agree with me, with possibly one exception, because Paul said, if you don't have your head covered at worship and you're a woman, that is shameful. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> but the rest of us apparently think scripture requires some interpretation. And then maybe apparently that's not necessarily true, even though it's in the Bible. It's fashionable though, it looks dandy. <laughs> By the way, uh, some even think that Paul in that verse uh, is not true in our context anymore. Some even go, oh, can you, can you say this about someone who's a, as an author of so much scripture? That, that some of the things Paul said might not even have been inerrantly true in his original context, but that rather this is just a truly great man who nevertheless still was still a man not God, and so once in a while that snuck in. I mean, and let's be clear, he was a man. We wouldn't say this about a woman, but he was a man, which means there were times he was wrong. <laughs> Paul also insisted that at church meetings, like the one we're gonna have later this morning, men should do all the talking. I find it instructive to realize, and this is not disrespectful, I find it instructive to realize that even Paul himself thought that that was not true in every context. All right? Because in some of his churches, especially as he moved more west and into more of a western culture, leaders of some of those churches whom he worked with and thanked God for were women. 
Even Paul himself, in other words, viewed his own words, words which are now scripture, as words which needed interpretation in, and perhaps might not even be true in, different times and contexts. But then, oh my, then there are those Jesus-tinted jewels in the treasure chest of the canon within the canon, which were holy, holy, holy and true the minute they were penned and have never stopped being true and which were written by this same man's faithful hand. Passages like that sound almost all agree, for example, like this. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Let's remind ourselves that all the 12 disciples Jesus did choose to lead his church at that time into its faithful future were men and they were Jews. And Jewish men in those days publicly kept their distance from women and publicly kept an even greater distance from non-Jews. That was even more true uh, when they got out of the public and into worship. There were walls between Jewish men and women and between Jewish men and non-Jews, literally. In the temple and temple courtyard, there were walls, sections for each, but there was no such thing as a section that was a section for all. And the best section, the closest to God section, was for Jewish men who in a traditional morning prayer said at that time would thank God that one, they were Jews, not Greeks or Gentiles, two, they were free, not slaves, and three, that they were men, not women. Let's be clear here. Paul's claim here that in Christ, distinctions of ethnicity, social and economic status, and gender are erased, would have been just about over-the-top counter-cultural, and even as far as many of the faithful were concerned, counter-scriptural. This doesn't mean that Paul was trying to change or undermine everything about the world or about Jewish religious life. When he worshiped in the temple, he respected the ways of the temple and the ways of the Jews. When he traveled the Roman Empire, he respected the ways of Rome and its legal system. And so when a slave who was legally enslaved under Roman law, whose name was Onesimus, ran away from his owner, whose name was Philemon, and who had been converted to Christianity by Paul, Paul sent 
Onesimus back to his owner, albeit with a letter which is in the Bible, is what its name is, the letter to Philemon, in which Paul urged Philemon to receive Onesimus not as a runaway slave to be punished by the law, but as a brother in Christ to be welcomed with love and grace and mercy. He also told Philemon that he would surely welcome it if Philemon gave Onesimus, his brother, his freedom so that he could come work on the mission field with Paul. But he didn't demand that. He invited Philemon to step up and do that. He was not an abolitionist, he was an apostle. Abolitionists would come 1,800 years later in this country and they would be needed. My goodness, would they ever be needed 1,800 years later in this country. And most of those abolitionists acted from deep Christian faith and their 1,800 years later understanding of the implications of Galatians 3.28 in their day. There's no such thing as slave and free. Of course, many who opposed abolishing slavery were also often Christians who had Bible verses they quoted to. And they surely did point out that Paul did send Onesimus the slave back to Philemon. So the fight was on. My second call was in Lake Mills, Iowa. East of town was one of the oldest Lutheran churches in Iowa, Silver Lake Lutheran Church. There used to be also on the east side of town, South Silver Lake Lutheran Church. Did you know this? What divided the two, according to Steve Smith, in the 19th century, 1800 years later, what divided the two in Iowa in the 19th century was slavery. One of them had a pastor from Missouri. Missouri was a slave state. My third call was in Grand Forks, North Dakota, where south of town could be found Wally and East Wally Lutheran churches. I am not making that up. What split them in the early 20th century was the doctrine of predestination, which also on both sides included quoting but disagreeing on how to interpret and understand Paul. Churches these days, of course, are arguing and splitting over matters of sexuality and sexual orientation and gender identification and whether faith calls Christians to be protesters or rather to be proud at things like pride parades. And Paul is quoted on both sides of that argument by people who all agree that scripture is our guide and they just can't agree how it's to be interpreted. Huh. You know what? Maybe there should be a required class. As it turns out, there was also a church fight going on in Galatia when Paul was writing about in what we now have as the letter to the Galatians. Go, go home and read it. It's, you'll, it's, you'll see. It's, these are fighting words. Some of them Paul speaks. The issue being fought about then was the first century issue of how many of the rules not of the land but of the Jewish faith did non-Jews need to observe in order to be saved and to be Christians? Did they need to abstain from certain foods? Pork, for example, there's Bible verses. Did they need to engage in certain religious practices? Circumcision, for example, there's Bible verses. Paul's answer, I am a Jew. 
When I go home, I follow Jewish practice. It's who I am, it's who I come from, it's a matter of respect. But as far as being saved, listen, we're Jesus' people. We know that the most important thing there is, is grace for salvation is a free gift not accomplished by what we do or don't do or eat or don't eat, but by grace through faith, dot, period. And if we're all saved by grace, he said, there may well be disagreements and differences among us, but for Christ's sake, don't let them become divisions among us. For if we are saved by grace and grace alone, there's no hierarchy. There's no such thing as a hierarchy of who's better and who's worse. There are no walls around those who are us and those who are them. There is rather the barrier-free and grace-perfumed level ground upon which we bow together at the beautiful and grace-bathed feet of Jesus. Paul did not deny that there were distinctions of all kinds dividing and hierarching people in the world, but that's the world, he said. It's not the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of heaven. Until the kingdom of heaven is fully ushered in, our call is to make sure as heaven that that's not how it is, that's not how it is in Christ church either. Dorothy Parker, if you Google sarcastic comments, she'll be one of them. I mean, there's Oscar Wilde, there's Groucho Marx, there's Mark Twain, there's Winston Churchill, and there'll be Dorothy Parker. One time she was at a party and someone praised another person at the party saying, she's so very kind to her inferiors. <laughs> and Dorothy Parker said, and where does she find any? <laughs> now, stripped of its sarcasm, um, that's actually Paul's point. You can't find inferiors in God's world, for such do not exist in God's eyes. There are only people, and yes, some of them are princes and some of them are prodigals, but all are fashioned by the Creator and loved by the Savior, and to be so is remarkably and remarkably equally precious in the eyes of God. That's what Paul in bold font means when he writes, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And all are called to remember that. And all, through baptism, who are called Christ's church, are called to show the world, too, what it means to live like that. The year I was born, 1955, when slaves for 90 years now in this country were officially free with this country, including in many ways that remained official was still what it was when an unassuming Christian black woman named Rosa Parks, many of you know her story, there's her pictures hanging in a hallway in one of the floors of the University Hospital I walked by at some time. She finished work and she got on a bus for home and a number of whites were already seated so she took her place at the rear of the bus in what was called, and who can even imagine we had this, what was called the colored section. And Rosa knew that if any more whites boarded the bus, she was going to be required to stand so the white person could sit. And two stops later, it happened, and Rosa Parks was told to stand, and she declined. She was yelled at, she was sworn at, she was threatened, and she refused to relinquish her seat, and so she was arrested. 
And thus began this critical moment in the civil rights movement in this country known as the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. Years later, asked why she did this, she said it was because of her mother and her Christian upbringing. She said, I was brought up to believe that God designs all his children to be free and equal. It took a while for the world to change. And the world, my goodness, no doubt, has changing yet to do. From the seat where you're seated, or in the steps you take, or the words you speak when you get up from your seat, what might you do to grow the church and the world too in the direction of what one day by God it will be and what here and now called by God it is meant to be? knowing that what it is meant to be is a place where gathered by grace. There is no longer Jew or Greek, American or Guatemalan, slave or free, immigrant or citizen, male or female, gay or straight, but rather all of the above, equal in the eyes of God precious in the arms of Christ's love. 